in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them suckers like the f***ing players. The WTA will not hold any events in China. So the story here, uh, Peng Shui is a uh, women's tennis player that's on the WTA. And she, like, what are we at a month ago? Maybe longer than that? Yeah, longer than that. uh, Accused a former vice president in China of sexual assault on a Chinese social media platform. Uh, That post was quickly quickly deleted. uh, And she posted some sort of rebuttal of her own statement. She went missing as well. Nobody could locate her. Uh, apparently, she is alive. China, the Chinese government has proven that she is alive, but uh, nobody really believes that she's, like, free at no. the moment. And WTA Chairman Steve Simon said yesterday, while we now know where Peng is, I have serious doubts that she is free, safe, and not subject to censorship, coercion and intimidation in good conscience i don't see how i can ask our athletes to compete there when peng shui is not allowed to communicate freely and has seemingly been pressured to contradict her allegation of sexual assault wta was they were going to have multiple events in china but the biggest one was going to be the wta finals in 2022 so i mean after pressure globally it was everywhere on where she was and people were fearing the worst they had her at a a kind of a kids um, clinic, if you will, and she they took a picture of her in the middle of all these kids to prove she was alive. But again, I think everyone thought, well, she's alive, but she's being held somewhere. Right. There's something happening here because that's the last time we saw her. Also, we haven't seen her since. Yeah. So I completely agree with the WTA in doing this, um, in terms of what they think's happening with her. And I don't think he'd come out and say all this unless he had somewhat of an idea of what was going on with her. Right, and that's I think the like if you're the WTA, that's like what what you get. An easy decision, yeah. And you've got your players, and you've got one of your players that's just just gone, just like and and has no freedom or whatever. And you're like, yeah, we're gonna put our events there. Everything will be fine. No, no, probably can't do that. And that's where the WTA is at now. The unfortunate part is I don't know what else anybody can really do. Like Uh, nothing. Yeah, well, hey, it, you know, the WTA can try to put pressure on them and say, hey, we're not putting our events there, whatever, but I don't know if that's going to make a difference. Like, I don't know if that changes much of what happens with Peng Shui. I mean, the money in China, the money to be made in China is that's that's part of the deal is you have to be willing to accept a certain level of human rights right. violations in order to get that, that, that Chinese market that... The NBA seems to covet so much. Yeah, the NBA. They're not. They're not. They're not uh, speaking out on her. Believe me. Man, you know that's a great question. The college football playoff committee did not make a decision on expanding the playoff. They will meet again in January, but did not set a date. I'm a little confused. What's so hard about figuring out if they want to expand and what they, the number they want to expand to? Don't you think that by now, we've talked about this over and over, 
that once the contract's up, don't you think they've already had deep discussions with TV about this and like how many teams it'll be and and how many teams they want it to be? I would assume uh, I mean, so. They have they have to talk to their TV rights and their and their broadcasting rights people of if we do this, how many teams do you think it would be? How could we split up the games? You talked about last week where you know Fox would want to be part of this. Obviously, they don't want all the games on ESPN. I I, I don't know. It's it's for it's almost like. They know they have to expand, but they're going to wait to the last minute to admit it. Yeah. Uh, which, again, if they expand, it's going to be, to me, it's going to be such a popular move. I would do it now. I would have done it before now. It will be a hugely popular move once they expand. And the reports were, prior to Oklahoma and Texas announcing they were joining the SEC, was that they were close, that they were about yes. to announce it, and they postponed it because, uh-oh, do we need to make sure everything's okay? That was like five months ago. Yeah. Like, they haven't figured out how to adjust for two teams leaving a conference? Like, well, I, I just I don't understand what can be so difficult about this. And, and just, and again, they didn't say no. Sure. They didn't make a decision. Like, it's one thing if they had said, no, we don't think expansion is right. Okay, whatever. Like, that's, that, but you made a decision. They haven't made a decision. They keep yeah. just pushing this back, saying, hey, we'll decide later. It's, what? what? I don't understand. Just decide. Do you want eight teams? Do you want 12 teams? Do you want to stick with four? You know they've talked about this. I know. They've had multiple meetings. Yes. They they know exactly what's happening. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Figure it out. Great question. Thanks Thank question. you. Chris Taylor's a Dodger? I think so. Boy, they better not lose him. Who's going to be They around? met for seven minutes. My goodness. Are you kidding me? Um, I think he, you have to sign him. Did He he didn't officially sign yesterday, right? No. Okay. And he was one of those with the qualifying offers, which he was going to turn down anyway at the $18 million qualifying offer. He's going to get more than that. But, yeah, I think you need to sign him. Because the report from Jeff Passan yesterday was super utility man. Chris Taylor and the Dodgers are making progress towards a deal. Obviously, there's a lockout now, so no, right. nobody can yeah, sign. Yeah, he said it's expected to be completed today. It was not completed. It was not, and now there's a lockout. So, obviously, he can't sign now. No, but he could agree to yeah, it. Yeah, they could have a verbal agreement. That's what the, the Astros never officially announced Justin Verlander signing. They just have a they just have a an agreement, agreement. Yeah. between Verlander and the team that he's playing for the Astros and the contract is basically done, I guess, but never officially signed there. So Chris Taylor coming back. I can't wait. Are you gonna be mad at him next year? Who are you gonna be mad at next year? Oh Belly. But what if Bellinger comes back and, and is an MVP? Like, yeah, it's hitting like two ninety and I mean crushing home runs. You know how I do this. I'm mad at anyone who stinks. Right. So that's what I'm saying. I think it's going to be Chris Taylor next so, year. Yeah, because Chris Taylor is going. It's going to be hard to duplicate like the All Star season. Right. He's. Be- I guess he's one of the leaders in the clubhouse who will have me throwing things. You'll be like, why did we bring Late this bump yeah, back? Yeah, exactly. While Corey I- Seager's hitting 40 home runs in Texas, we brought this bump back. Bonnie will walk through the living room and saying, "Who's the bum tonight?" Because I'm always screaming <laughs> at whoever the bum is, and uh, that's what she does. Because I, she's in the other room, and I'm screaming, "You bum." but she just never knows who I'm screaming at. <laughs> That's a great, great question. The Cubs signed Marcus Stroman to a three-year deal worth $71 million. Uh, do we know why I, the Cubs why they, spent money that. on a free agent no. pitcher? Big money on a free agent pitcher? No. Um, there was a report from Houston yesterday that the teams that have, uh, have contacted Carlos Correa's agents are the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Braves, the Astros, and the Cubs. I mean, you know, all all teams with big checkbooks. Obviously, they're going to have to be the ones that, that that sign them. Someone like that, I guess. 
I mean, who surprises you in that? I don't think anyone surprises the Braves you in that do group. because they're he- they're hesitant to give like their face of the franchise, Freddie Freeman, six years and a hundred. What does he want? One hundred eighty million dollars yeah. or something like that. So that one's a little bit surprising because the Braves don't seem to spend big on free agents. Not the others, and they won't do it to their own. But the other ones, I mean, the Cubs are surprising simply from a standpoint like. Are the Cubs Marcus Stroman and Carlos Correa away from being a playoff right. team? Oh, God, no. But right. so you'd know that there have been there's been a bit of a among the Cub diehards. There has been a like sort of an email and Twitter campaign of sell the team because <laughs> <laughs> after they did the fire sale, basically, if you someone put up a picture of the day before we traded our entire roster, the day after, and the stands <laughs> went from like a hundred percent full to there's like twelve people yeah. milling around. But like that's the thing, the Cubs sold the entire team because they're going to try to go right. through another yeah. rebuild here. I don't know mm. why they would spend money on Marcus Stroman and potentially Carlos Correa. Like I, it just it doesn't make sense to me if you tore the whole roster down to then be like, you know what? We're going to sign two big-name free agents. I mean, Correa would even make less sense for what he wants, for what he's asking for. I mean, I guess technically Correa, he's 27. You sign him to a 10-year deal. You could make the argument, well, we're going to be competitive in three years, and Correa's still going to be – he'll be 30. So I could understand that maybe, but that's still three years you're paying Carlos Correa while you win 70 games. Why would the – unless they think he's just so much better – why would the Dodgers be reaching out to him if what Seager yeah, got from Dax unless they think this guy's so much better right. than Corey Seager because Which you know not. what the you know what the number right. is already. Right. He's I mean, Correa's not significantly better than Seager. So They're basically the same. That team's so big. That team <laughs> like, surprises me only because right. you know the number. Like as a Dodgers fan, I know you've said multiple times, yeah, sign Correa, you want to win, blah, blah, blah. But You'd be looking around like, what the hell was that? If they let Seager yeah. walk and sign Correa yeah, for basically exactly. the same, for ba- which they're which right. Seager, which you know Correa is right. going to get. It'd be one thing if Carlos Correa signed like a five-year deal for you know twenty-five million a right. year, but if Correa signs the same deal as Seager and you, the Dodgers sign him, you'd be like, what I'd the be hell? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why'd we do that? Oh, uh, you know, I can't tell you that. Cameron Friel was named Mountain West Freshman of the Year. Charles Williams was named Mountain West First Team. Here's a question for you. Do you think there were any other freshmen in the running? You're asking me if I know the freshmen in the Mountain West Conference football? (laughs) Are you you seriously asking me that? Did you just ask that? Well, I feel like you know the answer to this question because Cameron Friel won Mountain West Freshman of the Year despite throwing six touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Oh, well, if you put it that way, then I don't think there was much uh, competition. I mean, good for Cameron Field. They've had there's a long had, snapper. Haven't they had back to backs? Yeah, Kyle Williams, the wide receiver, won it last year. So freshman in the Mountain West this year, uh, Cameron Field was the only quarterback that even qualified in terms of enough passes thrown to be considered a you know actually playing. No wide receiver had more than four hundred. Freshman wide receiver had more than four hundred yards. Only one freshman running back topped four hundred yards. It was Aaron Dumas of New Mexico. No freshman was in the top 20 in tackles, tackles for losses, or sacks. So Cameron Frio won by default because he was like the only freshman that played this season. (laughs) So, to answer the question that you did not know the answer to, you knew the answer. Did did this give him, I guess it gives him the edge going into the all as we know, uh, hashtag we not me spring ball. Um, in terms of the spring ball, does this give him the edge as the starter? No. <laughs> okay. It will be a very nice plaque. 
Uh, I don't know who the starter's going to be, and no, I don't think I don't Marcus. Know if they do. I don't think Marcus Arroyo does no. either. Justin um, Rogers, because Cameron Freel, he actually completed sixty-two percent of his passes, which UNLV's been struggling at like fifty percent the entire like existence of this franchise or this uh, team. So, like, you can make an argument for Cameron Freel that he got better enough throughout the season, or you can make an argument for Doug Brumfield, who simply looked the best uh, despite getting hurt all the time. So. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. And Marcus, I don't think he knows either. I think he's going into it with, okay, Cameron Friel, Doug Brumfield, your guess is as good as mine. Like, we're probably talking about another quarterback battle going into the start of next season. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't know the starting quarterback before the first snap of next season. They've got the young kid who they almost uh, played in the last game if someone would have gotten hurt. Matthew Geating. Matthew Geating. Freshman that had never played. Yeah, I maybe he's good. I doubt it. I'm sure they would have played him instead if he, they actually thought if he was good. Eating would have played that entire game and been great. Could he have stolen the freshman of the year award? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> what if he had gone like four and four touchdowns, zero interceptions? Yeah. If they had beaten Air Force and he threw four times, I mean, Free only threw six the entire year. If he stepped in and threw four, like he had like 375 passing yards and four. Probably. I would have been like, yeah, vote for that guy, not Cameron Freel. Guy threw 11 picks this year. Coming up next. Nifty maneuver. Stone comes out. Two on one with Stevenson. Stone right side. Stone fakes. Penalty coming. And then he's hit hard. Spins into the end boards. And he is in pain. Stone was tripped up. Penalty was already coming. And then gets knocked into the boards. And Stone is down in the corner on his back. And appears to be clutching his hand. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Golden Knights lost last night 6-5 to the Anaheim Ducks. As you heard there, Mark Stone got hurt. Uh, He was down on the ice. They had to help him off the ice. But he came back just like minutes later after going down the tunnel. He came back and was on the bench. We're going to guess a little bit at this. But he didn't exactly seem 100% healthy when he came back. Do you think he avoided serious injury by, and like we should read into, hey, he came back, that that means it wasn't serious? Did you see him going off? Yeah. I thought he separated his shoulder. Yeah, I thought he was done. Because his shoulder, his arm was hanging down, and usually that's what you do when the shoulder's out or it popped out of his socket. And I'm like, okay, here we go again. This guy's going to be out like four to six weeks. But DeBoer said afterwards they'll see more today. You sleep on it for a night. I I mean, I, I say he misses time. You don't think they just popped it back in and he was good to go? I, I, usually these guys miss a few. When they, usually these guys who go off miss at least a couple days. When do they they play next against, I think, Arizona tomorrow night? Yeah, and then they play Sunday. Okay, then so they play Sunday, yeah. They got two games in three yeah. days coming up. I, don't, I mean, just he the probably fact, avoided major injury. Yeah. Or they wouldn't have brought him back. <laughs> I would, hope, I would hope so. Come on, but let's go. Just the fact that he came back, like I don't know. Part of that makes me think he's not going to miss any time. Okay, that they could have easily just said, "Yeah, it's a December, early December game. We're fine. Yeah. Just just sit it out. We'll hopefully have you back as soon as possible." So I don't know, but it just it definitely felt like, oh wow, they just lost Mark Stone. When he again. was going off, it looked like six to eight weeks. Yeah, I mean, it looked like literally he blood a shoulder. So it's. It's good that he came back, but I do think there is a chance, like you're saying, that he does end up missing some time here because... That's what usually happens. Yeah, he got hurt. So it's just a little weird that he ended up coming back into the game. So we'll see. I doubt we get an actual update from Pete DeBoer, but we'll see if he plays in the game on Friday. That'll be probably the most important update that the Golden Knights have. Now, 
Back-to-back losses. Yeah, upper. Back-to-back losses for the Golden Knights. Edmonton, Anaheim. Two of the teams that are ahead of them in the Pacific Division. Two of the teams that they're either going to have to catch or beat in the playoffs if they are going to win this division, win the Stanley Cup, whatever it is. Is there any concern on your part that they've lost these games back-to-back or... Still too early, still too injured. Like, should we? How should we be evaluating the last two losses? Uh, do you have sometimes? You have, do you have high danger chances from last night? Yeah, I can pull it up in a because there seemed like there was a lot in terms of how the Ducks scored. You know, I'm kind of uh, concerned about more so than they lost back to back games in in November. I, I mean, this might be simplistic, but this to me is not the same Robin Leonard that we saw. Let's say the first month of the season, and I know. Again, if they're they were in close, and some of them obviously he he got no help from, but he even said after the game, he goes, "Look, you know, it's time to stop talking about bad bounces. I've got to stop pucks." Yeah, I mean, and he does, he yeah. does. Um, so high danger chances last night. Uh, the Ducks only had ten. Golden Knights had fifteen. I would have thought it was more where they scored where they scored yeah. from. Uh, scoring chances thirty six thirty one in favor of the Golden Knights. Um, so it's like every other game. <laughs> <laughs> so I just it, don't think Leonard has played well. He's I know Justin Emerson put out a number. It was probably his last six or seven games, eighty nine percent save percentage. And like we said, it's look they're not all his fault. But uh, in watching them recently, I, I'm I'm saying that's not the guy from the first month. Yeah, I don't I don't I think that's that's fair. I mean, he was really really good yeah. early on, and now he's you know been struggling. Um. You know who's been good recently? Marc-Andre Fleury. Since November 1st, he's plus 6.9 and goal saved above oh. average. Don't tell anybody that. Um, I'm trying to find no, he's one. Just, he's excited for the tribute video. He's excited for the tribute yeah, video. I believe it's January 8th. Everyone's waiting for that. Everyone's uh, waiting for that night. So Leonard's last 11 starts, this goes back to November 1st. He's minus 1.1 and goal saved above average, uh, which is 41st in the NHL. And his save percentage is nine oh nine, yeah, which is slightly below average. Um, I could shorten that up and see what he's been the last you know two weeks or something like that, and it's probably a lot worse. But yeah, he has certainly not been anywhere near as good as he was. Because I mean, listen, there was a time in this season where almost every game the Golden Knights played, Robin Leonard kept them in the game. Like Robin Leonard was like, ah, he made seven saves that kept this either yes. a tie game two or one a one goal game. Right. And gave the Golden Knights a chance to win it late. Like, he was unbelievable. And I think you're just going to have stretches over the course of a season where, yeah, he's a good goalie. He's going to be really good at times and other times. Like, he says, it's, yeah, you got to stop some bad bounces. It's hockey. There's bad bounces. Like, it's sure. just like it just happens. Every once in a while, Zach Whitecloud is just screening you, and suddenly the puck <laughs> flies over your shoulder, and you're just like, dude. So, I don't, like, yeah, you give up four goals in one period. That's not ideal, and... Well, he gave up, what, five of the goals they gave up last right. night? One, one was, was an empty, empty net. net. So, like, not ideal, but I think he has not by any means been bad to the point where you're worried that, uh-oh, he might not be good the rest of this season. What would the prop number have been to say they're going to score two shorthanded, two oh power play, God. and they're losing the game? Right? Just forget two power played, like two shorthanded. Right? They, yeah, we, at one point... I was I was watching this at a bar, and at one point, people were just like, they're better with less players on the ice. <laughs> and they were right. There was no evidence to refute that. They were absolutely they need more they space. Were better, well, they were better with less players last night and more players. Yeah. But when they were five and five, it was nah, just, they were awful. It was horrible. <laughs>
Like it's it, it's bizarre. You score four special teams goals in a game and lose. Yeah, and lose it six five. So, all right. My thoughts on the two losses in general. Are you worried? Not really. No. I still think it's it's early and they are still injured. Like we talked about with Edmonton. The Golden Knights did very well against Connor McDavid. The Golden Knights got beat with, you know, the bottom six there. And presumably, this might be a dumb thing to assume, but presumably the Golden Knights will be healthy at some point, or at least close to healthy at some point. And the bottom six will be a lot better. The bottom six will be a lot, uh, be different faces than they had against Edmonton and should perform better. So that was, you know, moral victory, silver lining of the loss to Edmonton. Last night, I don't think you're really taking many moral victories from any loss to Anaheim because it's not like they're that good. But I think you can sort of look at it and say, eh, whatever. Road game. Robin Leonard didn't play great. Four goals in a period is weird. Hell, scoring two shorthanded goals is weird. Like, I think you can kind of say, yeah, whatever. Just sort of a random game. I don't think there's too much to take away from last night's game when we're sort of projecting into the future. But... We talk a lot about, hey, where are the Golden Knights in terms of the playoff race? How close do they need to be and all that? At some point, they're going to have to beat these teams right. if they're going to, you know, not right. just be a wild card team that squeaks. And at some point, they're going to have to beat Edmonton and Calgary and Anaheim and start climbing up the Pacific Division to get one of the actual playoff spots. Yeah, it's December 2nd, so it's not super important. But at some point, they do. At some point, we're going to have a conversation where, all right, they got to start winning. Regardless of who's healthy, they got to start winning more. Eh, we're not there yet. No, I don't think we are either, but I do think that more and more, I, and here's the thing, it's too, it's so early, and they've dominated Anaheim, and like you said against Edmonton, I mean, if you're talking a best of seven, those bottom guys aren't going to beat you more than what, they might not beat you ever again. Yeah. So, I I think they're fine. It's crazy to say that. I'm actually looking forward, as we asked to Dave Shane yesterday, I'm looking forward to see them play Calgary. Like yeah, that's the, I know yeah. that's like the one matchup I kind of want to see to say how much we know how they match up against Edmonton. I mean, they've lost both games so far. I'm not worried about San Jose or Anaheim. They've, you know, pretty much dominated both those teams since they've been in the league. But Calgary, I mean, give them credit. They're in first place that that's. And as Dave said yesterday, they're kind of this heavy, slow team and it's going to be kind of a contrast. So I'm actually I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I've never said this. I'm really excited about watching them play Calgary. I don't know if I've ever said that before, but this specific year, because of the division, how it's shaking out, like I want to see those matchups. So last night, a guy named Troy Terry for Anaheim scored his 15th goal of the season. They've played 23 games. I have never heard of Troy Terry no. until last night. Uh, Troy Terry last year for Anaheim played in 48 games and scored seven goals. The year before that, he played in 47 games and had scored four goals. The year before that, 32 games and it scored four goals. William Carlson has in the expansion season. 15 in yeah. 23 games. Who the hell <laughs> is that? that? That's expansion season William Carlson. So you the go Ducks back are the numbers, going to the like, finals? This guy's never done anything. We're putting the Anaheim Ducks in the finals okay. now on Troy Terry's 43-goal right. <laughs> <Yes>. season? <laughs> like, seriously, he scored last night, and then they were like, that's his 15th of the year. And I'm like, who is that? <laughs> Who? They've, they've barely played 15 games. I was saying the same thing sitting at the house. I had no idea who that person was. Unbelievable. Coming up next, hopefully Jason Fitz answers the phone. The man does not like pie or syrup on his pancakes. No clue why we're talking to him, but it is time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Hello, Jason. So what were you doing yesterday? You were in an airplane just wandering around so you couldn't talk to us? 
Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, it, it's a, it's amazing how they'll just spin you around in the air over and over and over again because there's no gate available. And then you're like, okay, did we not know the flights were coming in at this time? So, uh, you know, there's nothing like the, the solid, hey, guys, uh, we're going to make our descent. And then 35 minutes later, you're still sitting there waiting to make your descent. So first world problem. But, you know, I'm glad that we get to hang out now. The best part by far is landing and then saying, well... We got you here 20 minutes early. Remember that when you book your next flight, and then 45 minutes later, the gate finally opens. Like, why are you there early if, in fact, there's yeah. no gate? I'd rather just kind of go slower in the air, slow the plane down, and then get there on time and then just get the gate. Well, and there's this now there's this weird phenomenon where they're booking so much extra time so that they can be on time that I've had it le- legitimately. I've, I've landed almost an hour early. Oh. And they're like, well, what do you know? And I'm like, Y'all knew that. Like, you, you don't, that, that's, that's a big calculated mistake. And if you happen to be one of the people still left in the world that gets picked up at the airport, that's a massive inconvenience. I, am, I sound like such a diva right now. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. Wait, do you have people that pick you up from the airport, or are you, like, taking an rarely. Uber and a Lyft? Rarely. Oh, it's wait, usually an Uber. rarely? Does that mean you've got one of the guys in, like, the, the, the black and white suits with your name on a card? Oh God, no, no, no! Oh. That means that I have to wait for the shuttle in Connecticut. It looks like a. Uh, it looks like a. Uh, it's called the parking spot is the, the parking space, and it's, it looks like a yellow school bus with obnoxious Dalmatian spots on the side of it. And the, like, legitimately, as I went running up to it, wearing a Christmas sweater that had a reindeer pooping peppermints on it, I ran up to it, and the guy just pulled off. Didn't even wait. Like he saw me. Even the guy standing next to me, waiting for a different shuttle, said, "Oh, he saw you. He just elected not to pick you up." That, that's my experience. All right, give me, uh, in the world of college football, what was most surprising to you this uh, last couple of weeks? Mel Tucker getting a 10-year, $95 million deal, Brian Kelly ditching Notre Dame for LSU, or Lincoln Riley ditching Oklahoma for USC? I mean, it, when in five years, we're going to look at the Mel Tucker deal as the, the most surprising of all of that. And, I, and I'm, I'm rooting for the guy. Like, I genuinely am. But $95 million for one winning season? Like, I mean, between 2010 and 2021, major colleges paid almost half a billion dollars in buyouts to coaches in football and basketball. And this is why, because how many, how many times can you finish third in your conference, you know, in your division in your conference before boosters are going to look at it and say, what are we paying all this money for? And I mean, right now there's no reason as good as Mel Tucker was this year for Michigan state. And as well as he used the transfer portal, I just can't see a clear and a path that suddenly makes them, consistently at the same level of Ohio State. You're paying that kind of money. Like, at halftime of Ohio State thumping <laughs> Michigan State, did Ryan Day text his agent and be like, hey, now's not a bad time to reach out to some people because if Mel Tucker's worth, you know, $100 million, then Ryan Day's worth $200 million. That's simple. And Nick Saban is worth whatever the hell he wants. If Oklahoma State wins and they win convincingly and Cincinnati struggles to beat Houston and there's no other chaos – is there any chance they would bump Cincinnati out undefeated? I think so, and I hate Oof. it, but I think so. I mean, you can't – Gary Barta, we talk to Gary Barta every week on Rankings Reaction, and almost every week he has commented on the fact that the committee constantly talks about the schedule that Cincinnati has played. And, I don't, you know, I, I wish there was a better way, but, I, I mean, I, I feel like they have been leaving a path for the Big 12 champion for weeks because they have made sure that Baylor, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State were all ranked high enough to help each other in this process. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, if, there's a, if there's any struggle, if Cincinnati wins at the end of a, a dramatic game, then, yeah, if Oklahoma State goes out and thumps Baylor, I think they'll, they'll leapfrog, and, and strength of schedule will be used as the reasoning why. 
disaster. Yeah, it's going to happen. It is, well, it is, but here's the flip side of it, though. Like, if you're a college football nut, like I keep saying with playoff expansion, I love the concept, but would we spend all week talking about who's number 12 versus who's number 13? I don't think so. So, like, that's the good for college football is that, you know, Cincinnati being – I don't know what's worse for Cincinnati being left out entirely or having spent the last nine months of the year – hearing, oh, well, Cincinnati barely lost to Georgia in that bowl game. You have now fired up the number one team in the country. I mean, I would not be surprised to see Georgia just go in and do naughty things to Cincinnati in the first <laughs> round of a playoff game if it works out that way. I don't know that that's great for the group of five conversation either because it only takes one time that you get in and you get beat the same way Notre Dame gets beat over and over again, but it'll be used as some sort of a narrative. What team would not get beat in a naughty way by Georgia in the first round? <laughs> No, that's a good question. Alabama, if Alabama gets them twice. I mean, if, if Alabama puts up a fight, I, I think this game on Saturday is going to be a low-scoring game which favors Georgia, and Georgia's defense is just too good. I, I mean, if Auburn did that to the Alabama offensive line, then this Georgia defensive line is going to just uh, embarrass them. So I think Georgia wins this game, but I think it's a pretty low-scoring game. If it's a low-scoring close game, the question is, is the committee going to try and find a way to just – shove Alabama into this playoff. And if that's what they're going to do, then, uh, you know, Alabama two two times in a row, I, I could see putting up a fight. That Oklahoma State defense is better than it's getting credit for, but I just don't see an offense right now that can actually score on Georgia that's in the playoff conversation. All right, here's the hypothetical for you. Could Georgia win a national championship if only their defense played against the opponent's offense and it was a 30-minute game <laughs> and ties go to Georgia. So if it ends 0-0 or 7-7, Georgia wins. Yes. I mean, and the funny thing is, like, it's so easy to overstate this, but, y'all, like, I, I really believe this Georgia defense. We're going to look back at it in five years and we're going to talk about it the same way we talk about those special Miami Hurricanes defenses. Like, there are – and, and we'll start getting into mock drafts. There are seven or eight guys that in the next two years are going to be first-round draft on the defensive side of the ball alone. I mean, that's just – we're seeing an unprecedented amounts of talent. And what's funny is that we've been just constantly focused on Georgia and their quarterback situation for the last four years without acknowledging that they've been a top-three recruiting team every year because they've been just stockpiling the defensive side of the ball. Now it's all paying dividends. And, you know, they've got guys on that side of the field that look more like Andre the Giant than football players. And it's just going to absolutely – I don't see how anybody does anything against it. All right, so let's get to what's been all over your Twitter page. What is you? What, what is the deal with you trying to pick a baseball team? And why don't you just go with the Dodgers and forget about it? Well, so I didn't grow up a baseball fan at all, and I've never really been a baseball guy. And in fact, when I was hired by ESPN, I, I sat down with them and I said, "I got to be honest with you. I'm really concerned about doing national radio because I don't love baseball." And uh, they said, "No worries. Like we'll, we'll help you get to know what you need to know, and you know, here's the things to study, and here's what to watch." And so. You know, I've, I've been casual with it, but Sarah Spain, my co-host, is a diehard Cubs fan. So she decided a few years ago she did a bachelor-like contest to pick Michigan as her favorite football and college football team because she didn't have one. So she said, let's do that for baseball. So we've been doing throughout the season just eliminations that are all themed differently, and she picked the theme. So, like, one of them was, you know, best uniforms or worst uniforms. We eliminated five teams. One of them was bad stadium food. So of the remaining teams, we eliminated five teams. And like we went through that sort of process and somehow we ended up with Cincinnati, Milwaukee, and uh, the Yankees is my last three. Oh. I don't know how, how the hell we got there. I didn't feel good about any of them. So I did what every good reality TV show does. And at the very end, 
I brought back the first team that I eliminated, and I chose them. I think that's the drama. My first elimination was the Oakland A's, and I eliminated oh. Oakland because I spent my whole childhood rooting against the Oakland A's because, frankly, it made the Raiders play on a baseball field. And so the sooner the A's were eliminated, the less time the Raiders had a baseball field in the middle of their stadium. I always hated it. So I made that the reason I eliminated the A's. But now I think we could all agree that the A's are definitely moving to Vegas, at which point I would become an Oakland fan anyway, or a Vegas, a Vegas A's fan anyway. So I figured, why not just get ahead of it, put that good uh, you know, juju into the universe, be an Oakland A's fan so that when they move to Vegas, I can then say to Oakland fans, hey, I was an A's fan too, and I'm still a fan in Vegas. The A's are only coming to Vegas if they can play in Allegiant Stadium. Oh, well, then I'm out. Then I'm out completely. All right. Then, now you're the Yankees. Then, yeah. Now, no, no, I'm just like, I'll take anybody that's playing the A's every week. I'll just buy, I'll buy every other hat in the entire world and I'll put them all on every, every single day and be like, oh, man, this is my favorite team today because I'll be that anti-A's. Now, that, I mean, what Vegas really needs is another swanky, huge stadium because there aren't enough arenas and stadiums in the city already, right? Man, not at all. Jason Fitz from ESPN with us. So, the A's are the worst team to pick, though. You know that, right? Like, they don't ever keep their good players. They try to win with a bunch of guys you've never heard of, and then once they get too good, they have to trade them away before they pay them. Yeah, but that's that's the Oakland A's. Once they become the Vegas A's, <laughs> then they're competing like everybody else is with a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities for entertainment for the dollar. They'll have that swanky new stadium that's going to make them a ton of money that somehow, some way, the city will find a way to pay for, I'm sure. And then all of a sudden, what we'll end up with is, you know, a, an A's team that's now spending all willy-nilly because they can and they want to make sure that they get star power into that stadium. So I've, I've got it all uh, all thought out here. The A's just need to call me. I'll spend them right into oblivion, but boy, will we be relevant for a year or two in Vegas. year or two. <laughs> More so than now. Um, all right, well, Washington football team, what do you think? I think it's an underrated defense, um, and, and I say that knowing that coming into the season, I thought the defense was going to be really, really incredible. I thought they were going to be a playoff team. I thought they were a quarterback away. And over the last three or four weeks, sort of how they played, Heineke – is more mobile than he gets credit for. He's able to make a lot of different plays. He just can't put things together consistently yet, but he's been doing that more over the last few weeks. So it's a scary game for me because they have a combination of a mobile quarterback at times, which has been difficult for the Raiders. They have an incredible wide receiver in Terry McLaurin that is absolutely a nightmare matchup for the entire NFL. And they've got one of the most talented defensive lines the Raiders could possibly face at any point in the season. So the offensive line is going to have to play well enough for the Raiders to get chunk yardage plays, that's that's going to ask a lot. So I think it's a tough matchup for the Raiders, but I think it's a winnable game. I'll also be honest. A week ago right now, I was sitting here looking at draft things, thinking, well, you know, it was a fun season, but after we lose to <laughs> Dallas, you know, might as well start looking towards the draft and just take everything. So I'm willing to be the first to admit that this has been the most unpredictable Raiders team I've ever seen in my lifetime for a lot of very obvious reasons. So I, I, I think the Raiders – have the opportunity here to tell the world. Like, if they win this Washington football team game, then all of a sudden they're going to be back in everybody's conversation about the playoffs. If they don't, they won't, and it's that simple. And in the meantime, the Chargers have a tough game against the Bengals. The, the Broncos and the Chiefs play each other. Like, this is a real opportunity for the Raiders in the division this week, and as good as the AFC West is, you want to make the playoffs, you're going to have to win this football game. So if they win, you're pulling up the the wild card and divisional standings. If they lose, you're pulling up the draft order. 
Yeah, it's it's either Tankathon <laughs> or the uh, ESPN, uh, the the current NFL playoff standings. It's one way or the other Monday morning, and it's and it's insufferable because by Wednesday I will have convinced myself that I should have looked at the other and that whatever I thought I knew I no longer know. Well, he is Jason Fitz from ESPN. Jason, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Y'all are the best. Thanks. Take care. All right, yeah. here we go. We got a free lunch to iHeart Mac and Cheese which sounds delicious. You get a $20 gift card to iHeart Mac and Cheese, now open in Las Vegas on Fort Apache, just south of Tropicana. 20 bucks to iHeart Mac and Cheese, 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number five at 702-364-1100. Is there a tactful way to say goodbye? Never. It's always difficult because of things get leaked and um, they get out to the media before you can actually get in front of your guys. I did the best I could. I was on the road recruiting, and and things got, you know, out to the media before. But I, I was able to send a note to my guys and then get in front of them yesterday at 7 a.m. And, and tell them I love them. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. <laughs> oh, I think that's probably all he said because he stayed for two minutes. So <laughs> the, only thing he, the only thing he had time for was, love you guys. So the... Players Association and the owners meeting for seven minutes yesterday was actually three times as long as Brian Kelly <laughs> yes. telling his players <laughs> he that loved he was them. going to leave Notre Dame for LSU. Um, all right. We have not gotten to this detail all week, but it might be one of the most shocking details in all of college football this year, despite all the ridiculous things that have happened. Mel Tucker already ridiculous enough, got the 10 year $95 million deal. If Mel Tucker leaves Michigan State, he only owes Michigan State $2.5 million. This is, I got to stop you here. Who is this guy's agent? <laughs> the greatest, I mean, the greatest agent, agent ever. who's ever lived is Mel Tucker, Tucker's agent, where not only he gets a guy who's really, let's be honest, I mean, they had a good season this year. I get it, but look at what happened last year. Gets a guy $95 million. But now he doesn't even have to pay back three if, for whatever reason, and I'm thinking whatever reason, another t- school wants to hire him. But for all we know, they're going to be lining up for Mel Tucker after he goes six and five next year uh, for whatever reason that he only has to pay back 2.5 when he's making over nine a year. I, it's one of the greatest contracts ever. And what if you're like the opposing school about to hire him? Oh, Mel, you make 95. This is going to be a hard buyout. No, it's just 2.5. And, and it goes down after oh, like sure. the first year. <laughs> He'll take a job in the yeah. fourth year. It'll be like, you pay $10,000 yeah. to get me out of this contract. Okay. Just for a fun comparison, Marcus Arroyo. <laughs> His buyout. If Marcus Arroyo were to leave UNLV today, right now, he would owe UNLV. Three million dollars. If he had it's left amazing. it, if he had left it in after year one, it was five million. So Marcus Arroyo's buyout right now is more than the guy who just signed what? a ten-year, ninety-five million dollar. What deal. is the fascination with him? And on the flip side, if Tucker gets fired at any point during this deal, he doesn't get paid off. He gets everything. Um, everything. I mean, the entire thing is guaranteed to Mel Tucker. That's something you put in the contract to take out during the negotiation. Yes, yeah, exactly. It is it, I, okay. I mean, look, I'm not ripping him. Good for him. If you can, great if you for can, Mel Tucker. If you can pull this off, you're the greatest uh, <laughs> negotiator in the history of the world. But what is Michigan State doing? 
the guy like we just talked to Jason Fitz, who's like one winning season. Yeah. He finished third in the division. And they actually finalized the contract after he was down 48 nothing to Ohio <laughs> State at halftime. Like, the next week is when they finalize. It's like, didn't you pause after that game and say, well, now, Mel, $95 million, you're down 48 at halftime. We're not so sure about this. But, no, they went right ahead. They probably called him right after the game. Listen, man, we got to get this signed. Okay. We don't want we don't want someone to swoop in <laughs> yeah, after that exactly. game. And pay $2.5 million. The whole point of Michigan State signing this contract is because they believe Mel Tucker is awesome. They believe Mel Tucker's the guy that's going to take them to, hey, we're playing for the national right. championship. So you sign Mel Tucker to the long-term deal to keep him at Michigan State, to keep him from getting poached by a bigger school or even the NFL, because according to Adam Schefter, NFL teams checked in on Mel Tucker. <laughs> for the buyout to only be $2.5 million, you, Michigan State didn't accomplish that. Mel Tucker could... He could leave now for Oklahoma. Mel Tucker to Oklahoma. And Oklahoma says, we'll pay it. Mel be, no, I've made enough. I'll pay it. I'll pay my own. But I mean, it's only two and a half million. I've made like, I've made, it'll be five years down the road. Like I've made 50. So don't worry about it, Oklahoma. I'll pay my own. Like Michigan State did nothing to protect themselves. If Mel Tucker is awesome, somebody else can still come steal him from you. Easily, and you're saying the two five goes down? Yeah, after like the first year or second year or something like that, it starts to going down what? to two million, then one point five. Like it keeps going down. 